Welcome back to another episode of Theory Pre-Med. Theory Pre-Med is a podcast following the journey of three pre-med students, Mo, Todd, and Nathan. We talk about our path and experiences as we bring in guests who will connect pre-meds worldwide. If you are thinking about med school or healthcare, our podcast will give you the ultimate student perspective. Also, thank you to the California University of Science and Medicine for giving us a space to record today, which is Dr. Evelyn's office. (laughs) We love it. So, as we already mentioned, um, today we have a special guest, Dean Evland. Um, He is a Senior Associate Dean of Student Affairs and Admissions here at the California University of Science and Medicine. So, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us a little bit about CUSM. We're excited to learn more about it. Well, thank you so much, guys, and uh, welcome to CUSM. It's a sincere pleasure to have you all with us. Uh, And uh, I've been here about six years. I was one of the very first people that came to uh, start this brand new medical school in beautiful downtown Colton, California. Awesome. Uh, And um, and absolutely the thing was is that we wanted to be here to help serve our community because of the great physician shortage, the uh, lack of access to care, uh, and, uh, you know, all those sorts of things. Uh, So we're delighted to be here. Uh, we will graduate our first class in about a month. Yes, yes absolutely. They matched very well uh, all over the country. And um, uh, we have 62 graduating this year. Next year, it'll be close to 100. Okay. And the year after that, it'll be 130, which will be the final number that we'll wow. stay at. That's awesome. Yeah. That's great. So tell us a little bit more about your role as a Senior Associate Dean of Student Affairs and Admissions. Absolutely. So. Um, Student affairs, of course, uh, involves everything that is outside of the curriculum, essentially. So while we, um, as you appreciate, we make it difficult for students to get into medical school. Uh, and <laughs> we that's know, the, we know. Yeah, <laughs> and that's the admission side of my, uh, of my office. But then on the other side uh, is uh, how we make sure that we keep you here and that you don't just uh, survive, but you thrive while you're with us. Uh, we'll do everything we can to make sure that you have an amazing experience while you're here, and that's student affairs. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So you're not just admissions, not just admitting people, you're following through, through oh, their whole experience. We follow them, absolutely. We, uh, we check each uh, time they have a major exam just to see yeah. how people are doing. Wow. If we see that folks are, are not performing at an expected level, we'll reach out to them with our um, testing skills specialist, study skills, all that thing, time management, just to see if everything's okay. Um, oftentimes, you know, people just either get tired or they get, um, uh, there's something going on outside of the curriculum that may be impacting their performance. But we'd much rather catch you when you have the sniffles than when you have pneumonia. Right. <laughs> and so the idea here is to be primarily preventive uh, in the way that we approach our uh, uh, su- uh, student success um, programming. And so that, yeah, that's pretty much what it is. We do uh, academic skills. We have a full-time counselor in, in uh, our building that's free of charge to our students uh, because of the rigors of medical school. Sometimes life gets a little bit heavy, and so we For have sure. her right here. Uh, we also have uh, a service where students can uh, very confidentially reach out to a third-party counseling organization, uh, and they can be with them for three sessions if they want. They even offer uh, counseling on uh, financial wellness. Uh, you can access an attorney there once a year if you have that sort of a need. So it's a really cool program wow, like okay. that. Yeah. So lots, lots of resources. Lots yeah. of going on. Seems like you're working really hard to combat like burnout 
and, and depression. Absolutely, yeah, we, absolutely. We have several mental health-based events during the years. That includes depression screening. Mm -hmm. uh, we work with people who um, have uh, test anxiety. Uh, and primarily, you know, everybody that comes in here has the academic ability to be successful. But when people get into trouble, it's because there's something that's going on outside of the curriculum or they have health issues mm -hmm. that may be um, part of their scenario before they come into medical school. We do a psych test before they come into medical school so we can sort of ferret out if a person has a high level of depression or um, uh, anxiety or, or whatever the case may be so that we have a heads up on that. We can provide them with resources uh, to help them be successful before they even start. Awesome. I think that's really great. I mean. You know, as people get older, like, you know, life changes, and I think it's really good that, you know, you're there and you're able to give them resources in order to, you know, help them succeed. Absolutely. That's the key. You know, this is a, uh, this is a uh, marathon. It's not a yeah. sprint. We've heard that a lot. And we yeah. feel it, too. Yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> We're only going to start. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, we want to make sure that you travel well. So we wanted to talk about your mission statement, the school's mission statement. Yes. So I'm going to go ahead and read it out loud to all our listeners. So the mission statement of CSM is to advance the art and science of medicine through innovative medical education, research, compassionate healthcare delivery, and an inclusive environment that advocates critical thinking, creativity, integrity, and professionalism. Um, a lot of this I definitely saw today when I got here uh, with, the, with the research posters that a lot of our, a lot of your students were presenting. But there were two key things that I kind of noticed that I wanted to, um, to learn more about. Sure. So the first one is the mission statement said, innovative medical education. Yes. And I, I've heard this a lot from a lot of schools where medicine is heading, you need to innovate. So how is CUSM innovating medical education in comparison to other schools? Yes. Well, it's, uh, as I like to say, uh, there's, not, there's no such thing as a bad medical school uh, in this country. It's LCME accredited. But we're all different. And so if you've seen one medical school, you've seen one, one medical school. school. Yeah. <laughs> and even, uh, even though our methodologies may be similar to some other medical schools, we're each different. Uh, we are very much invested in a team-based approach. Active learning uh, is our hallmark here. Uh, it's not the uh, old days like when I went to school where you hope to have a sage on the stage. Uh, <laughs> far from it. Uh, this is very much a student-centered which means that uh, we actually give you everything you need to study uh, before you go into the class. We give you the, re the reading, we give you the high quality uh, videos, um, extraordinary um, photos of things all the way you know, beyond the cellular level. Wow. And um, you read all that and then you come in here, you work in your group, you take a test first to demonstrate your own understanding of the material. Then you take a test with your group and you share all your answers, determine collectively what that, uh, the best answer is, and then each group puts that information up for in the entire class to see, so all the different colleges or groups, if you wow. will, can see how everybody scored on it, and then you talk about it. So by that time, you've actually processed the pertinent information three times and had everybody's input, and then finally the um, uh, content expert will make sure that everybody arrived in the right spot. And you do this in the context of a clinical case. So you go through 120 awesome. uh, different clinical cases <laughs> in your first two years, essentially. Uh -huh. And 
Each one of those uh, represents one piece of what you probably see in a primary care physician's office. Those 120 cases represent 95% of what you typically see. So by the time you get through years two, uh, you've already seen the bulk of what you might see as a family doc, an internal medicine doc, pediatrician, etc. And you, when you open up those cases, then you are essentially uh, studying them uh, and learning your basic sciences in the context of that clinical case. So say, for example, somebody had cholera, and you would be looking at the symptomology associated with that individual. And then as a small group, you'd be asking yourselves questions about what you need to understand about that clinical case. So one of the big symptoms with somebody who has cholera, for example, is that they have massive dehydration. They're, they're just losing fluid through every orifice in their body. Uh, diarrhea specifically would be uh, the case. And so you would be asking yourself essentially basic science questions to understand so what's the, what's the uh, biological mechanism by which the cells are secreting the fluid? What's the underlying physiology? Uh, you know, you, so you kind of get yeah. the drift. You, you, and then, in that way, you learn your basic sciences in the context of each clinical case, which is really mm -hmm. quite profound. You're able to put a, a person's face on that biochemistry problem. So it goes way deeper than Grey's Anatomy, for sure. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I wish I could have learned this, but I honestly do. I feel, like, I feel like that's really great. Um, I feel like it kind of goes into that like creativity and, and like critical thinking side of things. Um, absolutely. That's like that whole idea of like pedagogy, and I feel like it's a really nuanced way of teaching things. Because um, one of the things that I do at Chapman is um, I have our lead weekly review sessions for the students, and I'm finding that you know having them being groups and having them like come up with new things is honestly like the best way of learning. Absolutely. You keep people engaged and they'll they'll remain interested. Yeah. And there's actually a nice body of literature that shows that uh, if you attend a lecture and you really just don't do much with it afterwards, mm -hmm. in two weeks you'll only remember 10% of it. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Whereas so with true. an active learning model, it's almost like opposite. Yeah. 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 Awesome. And talking about critical thinking and creativity, um, that was my second kind of point of interest in your mission, mission statement. So what is being done to push students to the next level that requir requires critical thinking and creativity? I know you mentioned kind of looking through those different cases, yes. but are there anything else that you guys are doing, planning on doing? Yes, absolutely. So, uh, you know, there's, as they say, as medicine is both a science and an art. Mm -hmm. uh, and so through their experiences with clinical faculty, not everyone will have a teacher the same way. And you may one have, have one person who entered medicine 40 years ago, and you'll have another one that entered medicine five years ago. And so from that, the students have exposure to those different methodologies and recognize that there's more than one way to get to the right destination, and they can choose for themselves, i.e. the art, uh, what might be best for their individual patients. Uh, the, all, the other thing is, is that um, uh, when it comes to healthcare and into physicians in particular, there are different specialties within medicine that may um, align themselves more with, with the creativity piece. For example, if people like to work with their hands, if they're more artistically oriented, a plastic surgeon might be a good role for them. Uh, if they uh, are more of a carpenter at heart and they like to make things with their hands and take things apart and put them back together, Orthopedics may be a, a great profession for them to consider. Uh, 
So all those things sort of ferret into it. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, I think that where medicine is eventually going, which is really pretty profound, is that uh, rather than having everything back uh, in, in textbooks, it's all in the cloud. In fact, our library, as you probably are aware, has not one book in it uh, for that very reason. So one of the things that medical education will have to do is prepare students how to ask great questions of the cloud. And if you don't ask great questions, you won't find great answers. So that, and that comes into the critical thinking role, too. Awesome. Search terms and things like that to, to get what you're looking for. Absolutely. Yeah, you've got to have an idea about where to start mm -hmm. and how to query the information correctly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so um, you know, since CUSM is a relatively new school, uh, one thing that we want to ask is what role have the students played and what role do they play in developing the medical school as a whole. Absolutely. Our, our students, by design, have been actively involved from day one. All of our students have, each one of our standing committees, whether it's uh, when we have different levels of the curriculum committee, the students are on each one of them oh, with yeah. vote. Wow. Yeah, and uh, we also have uh, class meetings, uh, uh, town hall sessions, if you will, where the dean will go down, I'll go down with them, uh, we'll open the floor to whatever questions they want to ask or comments they want to make. And then we develop a plan based on their feedback that says, okay, you said, and then we'll report back, we did. And uh, all these things are, are important also for accreditation, frankly. When our accreditors come to campus, they want to see that the students are involved and that we're listening to students and that we're uh, providing a continuous quality improvement uh, to everything that we do. 100%. And again, going back to the idea of a relatively new school that you guys have, um, do you see any points of improvements that the school will be working on uh, addressing within the coming years? Mm -hmm. I know specifically Chapman has learned a lot through the pandemic. Oh, um, sure. It's definitely helped us kind of figure out what we want to do for the next five years. Has CSM done that? Absolutely. We learned a lot in the pandemic as well. We learned that there's actually parts of our curriculum that lend themselves better to being online uh, and to, to video uh, uh, Microsoft Teams meetings and things. Of course, there's other things that we, uh, we, we sensed but, and, of course, confirmed through all of this that you can only really do well in person, and clinical skills would be one of those areas. Uh, so in the pandemic, we had everybody absolutely just covered from head to toe with personal protective equipment uh, in small groups, and they would come in, and we would teach them even in that, uh, even in that environment. Uh, and that will continue, of course. Um, we're learning that, um, you know, if we can make it easier for students uh, to not be on campus every day, uh, that, that, that that's helpful, especially given the uh, traffic patterns in the area we live in. Our students are primarily only here Monday through Thursday. Mm -hmm. And then there's occasionally something like we had today with a research symposium downstairs on Fridays, but for the most part, they have three days off so they can catch up on whatever they want That's to. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, plus having a little bit of their own personal time, you know, for, um, for their own mental health. <laughs> That's correct. And then something I actually saw like early in the week was uh, a lot of med schools or some med schools are, are starting to implement VR in their curriculum. Yes. Yeah. Is that something you guys considered? Oh, we, we considered it six years ago. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we actually did. Uh, and we're probably going to move more towards uh, AR than VR, okay. and uh, okay. for that reason, uh, and we've had uh, people 
come in and demonstrate the various goggles and things where you can uh, actually look at a human body and you can take your hand and take one piece away and expose different uh, <laughs> levels of the body <laughs> you know, all the way down to the skeletal system. Uh -huh. um, but for now, we're not seeing any uh, data as to the efficacy of that being better uh, than, than what we're actually providing. And we do have some extraordinarily uh, high-powered uh, uh, visualization uh, software for that sort of thing that students can use anywhere without any additional special equipment. Nice. I'd be excited to see yeah. where that goes. Absolutely. And yes. it's still so interesting, like being virtual and can actually be better in some circumstances. Yeah. You mentioned that earlier. Could mm -hmm. you talk more about how you discovered that some classes were actually better online? Yeah, so when we went, uh, when we closed the school uh, in March, was it two years ago? When yeah. Did we anyway, when we did that, uh, we had to make the transition completely to online for the first two years in three weeks. And, and our faculty rose the occasion in remarkable fashion. Uh, and so uh, when they did that, in the process, of course, of continuing to assess how things were going, uh, we could see that this, you know, some of this stuff actually works well in this environment. It keeps them from having to come into school every day. They can study at home. They can they can connect with their peers via uh, Microsoft Teams. But the one thing that they lacked in all of this was a sense of community. Right. And you really have to have a sense of community if you want to have a great uh, school and a, a sense of um, uh, school spirit and uh, a oneness of purpose and feeling like you're really a part of everything that's going on. And you really can't do that if you're sitting at home by your computer by yourself. Mm -hmm. yeah. half, half awake. Just. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I believe that um, CSUM recently had their graduating class participate in the match yes. with a 100% match rate. Isn't that amazing? That's yeah. awesome. Um, we were wondering, like, what were the factors that went into that? Wow. We, we absolutely watched each student through a microscope as they went through this process. <laughs> Back when they began their third year, uh, of course, we, we do a, a careers in medicine program that's four years longitudinal, begins in year one, that teaches them first about uh, who they are as a person, uh, what's their personality, what's their skills, what's their interests, things of that nature, what sort of a medical environment would they want to practice in. And then the second year, we look at the world of work. So here's where those factors might play out in the various over 120 ways you can use an MD degree these days. <laughs> and so then you're looking for the all-important person and environmental fit when you look at who you are in the world of work and find where you best, you know, would be congruent with both. Third year comes along, and they're beginning to work through the uh, wards in the hospital, so they're going through family medicine, internal medicine, pediatrics, general surgery, obstetrics, gynecology, psychiatry, neurology, stuff like that, emergency medicine. And so they get exposed even further. So by the time they get into the second part of their third year, uh, my colleague and I, Sabrina Wilhelm, met individually with each one of our 62 students to look at their board scores, what their interests were. We looked at their marketability for those particular specialties because some were far more competitive. Um, we looked at how much research they had done. Uh, we looked at uh, geographical uh, preferences, all that kind of thing. So that by the time year four ran, uh, came along and they actually wanted to start applying for residency programs, 
they knew where to go and how to get there. And I think that was critical to us having uh, a, a really strong match like that. Uh, some people were overshooting, some people were undershooting their marketability. Uh, so we helped them do that. We helped them find uh, various other specialties that might be helpful to them, be in the same category or maybe not quite as competitive. That's so interesting. You're just building the foundation like the first couple of years, really making sure they know where they're headed yes. and their mental state is, is well prepared. Absolutely. And, and now that they're learning the information in the latter half of their med school experience, they are, uh, they're prepared and they're, they're ready to go. Like, and that's, that affects the match rate. That's so, it, it's so incredible. It absolutely yeah. does. And, you know, to use the medical term, this way they have informed consent. <laughs> right. Yeah. They understand what they're doing and how they're doing yeah. it. Right. That's great. I think it's I think it's really great that you know, like they're being taught, you know, basically all the things that they can do and then it kind of narrows down, you know, into them deciding, you know, what they want to do. And I think that that's really great, especially right. with something like the match. That's right. Yeah. And something that you actually mentioned that plays a big role in matching into different programs is research. Oh, yes. So um, research seems to be an incre um, increasingly important yes. factor in medical school now that step one exams are pass-fail. So what are your thoughts on the step one going pass-fail, yeah. um, research, and all that stuff? Well, <clears throat> I'm glad, personally glad that the step went pass-fail okay. uh, because I saw the stress that it caused students. And essentially, there was so much of the curriculum. They were, I mean, they were studying for the, for, for the boards but weren't always picking up the things that the faculty felt was important for them to learn. Uh, so that was one thing. Uh, and unfortunately, the residency programs were using this almost like the MCAT to determine in their pecking order as to who they were going to invite in. And the research shows that you know the higher your score doesn't correlate with, the, with you being a better physician. So that, I think all those things were important. Now the fact that it went to step, uh, that the step one went to uh, pass bail, has now put more pressure on step two, uh, mm -hmm. clinical knowledge, not surprisingly, um, and there are within special medical specialties, um, some are more research centric than others. If you want to go into dermatology, the average number of uh, research uh, pubs for that, or some sort of whether it's uh, a uh, poster session or uh, conference, uh, you know, review, etc., is eleven. Oh, okay. wow! Yeah, <laughs> we haven't even gotten one yet. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I mean, I'm just it's a heads up. And the, and the Association of American Medical Colleges has all this information available to students, so they can say, hey, you know what? If you're going to do this, here's what people who were actually matched into that specialty look like. So that way you know where you, can, where you need to aim. Uh, but it also gives us a heads up as to what we need to do as an institution. So we, are, we continue to beef up our, our research um, placement capabilities uh, all the time. Uh, I recently talked with the president of a university over in Nevada who uh, wants to offer our students the opportunity to come there and do research with their uh, very strong uh, researchers. Um, several of which came from the uh, Nevada Cancer Institute that was uh, there at a the time. Uh, and we also are working on an affiliation 
with Chapman University. I'm sorry, you are. You're Chapman. Where's Chapman? Um, with uh, Claremont. Okay. Uh, we love one with Chapman. Sorry. Claremont Colleges, uh, where, where, where our students could go down there uh, and work with some of their research. And of course, we have our own here, and we have our folks over at the hospital. That's awesome. And the students, if they want to, they can take a year off between year two and three or year three and four to do nothing but research if they want to. I'm not saying I recommend that. Right. That certainly is a possibility. Yeah, a possibility if you want to choose that. So clearly programs, um, especially residencies and stuff, are looking deeper at research. It's becoming a bigger factor. How are you guys looking at that when it comes to pre-meds? You know, I've always said that a little research is good and a lot isn't necessarily better. Okay. Um, we're going to teach you how to do research while you're here. You'll learn how to read the literature, how to dissect the literature, determine whether or not the statistics used were appropriate, uh, whether they had sufficient power to, uh, to make their um, uh, summations, uh, and all that kind of thing. So, and then you'll be able to, and then you'll learn how to be a contributor to the literature uh, through a course we have uh, in our, your second year, where you'll actually be asked to produce some research with some of your colleagues. So you'll actually be able to do that uh, as part of the second year, and that also can be helpful to your CV in the, in, in the future. Yeah, 100%. I think a question that a lot of, I, I don't think you've gotten a lot is, is there any way research can hurt an applicant who's applying to med school? Maybe in the wrong field of research or? Well, that's a great, great question. Um, <clears throat> you're right, I haven't typically gotten that question. I think, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the, if you know early enough what it is you want to go into, that would be ideal right. if, you, if you could get some research in that field. But a lot of students don't make those choices till towards the end of, of year three. And to be able to plan that then at that point would be pretty tough for almost anybody. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's what's idealistic and then what's realistic. And in this case, you know, being able to show that you can contribute uh, to the literature that's the biggest thing. And if you can get in, you know, with some other folks who already know their way through the research maze, have an NIH grant, or just have already been a prolific researcher all their lives, they will help you and you contribute to their research in a meaningful way, you get a name on your paper. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you talked about just now about like how, you know, getting experiences out of research. Um, we were kind of like wondering what specifically, like what sorts of research experiences should pre-meds like seek um, or what kinds of experiences are like, sought after? For some context, all three of us are doing research uh, separately. Um, actually, Mo and I are in the same uh, research program. We're doing research on drug delivery and nanoparticles. We're interested in that sort of thing. Sure. Um, Mo is doing, you can explain that right. a little bit. Todd. Yeah, I, yeah. Todd, sorry, Todd. Yeah, I do uh, neuropathology at UCI. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so that's been... So that's really been fun for me. To do. So we're pretty interested. So, yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. that's great. I mean, you guys, see what happens is, is when you do that sort of work and you get, you, you have the payday from it, from, from your experiences in it, that it's either poster session, you know, accepted at a professional conference, uh, you get a, a pub and a peer-reviewed journal, that's, that's the creme de la creme. Right. Uh, and when you do that, that shows that you're actually performing above the level of most of your peers. And then uh, on a committee like ours, there's people that take note of that, especially those who are more involved in research. Mm -hmm. uh, it's That's a, so, wow, look at this, you know, kind of thing. 
Is it necessary? No, not necessarily. But it does show that you're performing above the level of your peers, and that can clearly work to your advantage. So something I've always heard is every year med school admissions committees get together and decide on the type of students they want to admit. Is this true? And if it is, how is this really decided? Well, it's not true of us. I mean, we had those discussions early on. And the way it works that I'm aware of is that, uh, I mean, you have to tie your admissions process directly to your mission, your mission and vision for the institution. So with us, we're here primarily to help the uh, residents of the Inland Empire and then Southern California. So given that, when we look at students, and of course, the, and we have corporate values like dutifulness and altruism and conscientiousness, being able to be a good team player, being able to communicate well uh, with one another. And so we look for evidence of uh, all of those things in your application. Uh, and in our case, then we also give extra points if you're from the Inland Empire, if you're a first-generation college student, if you have uh, come from a low socioeconomic status, because those tie into our, our mission. We want people who want to come back here and practice. So when we start inviting people to interviews, we look at those criteria first, which, frankly, there are not that many who actually apply from the Inland Empire. So. Then we go from that, we go to the contiguous counties. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> yeah. We got a poster chair. <laughs> <in. laughs> I'm already. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm from Riverside. Awesome. Yeah. Well, you're in the backyard then. Yes. <laughs> um, so, and then we look at the contiguous counties uh, to Riverside. And so we're going into Los Angeles, we're going into Orange, we're going down to San Diego. Again, Southern California. 98% of the people we uh, admit to this school are from California. And uh, the other 2% have strong ties here. Got it. Yeah. It's, again, because it's mission-based. Yeah. Interesting. So 98% so from California. Mm -hmm. um, where where the 2% come from? Yeah. Um, across the U.S.? Absolutely. Well, and that's because they may have, uh, they may have gone off, the, off to uh, uh, University of Pennsylvania or uh, Virginia Tech or wherever. And so that's where the residency is now because they've been there over a year. Yeah. But they're from Orange mm -hmm. or they're from Riverside. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and so we look and we can, you know, there's a place on the MCAS application that says, where were you born? Mm -hmm. You know, and there's also, it shows where your permanent residency is. But we see that you, there's a connection here in some way. We also have parental information in there. Uh, number of siblings, that's all part of your AMCAS application. Wow. And so we look at all that. Number of siblings? Yeah. <laughs> How's that factor? Well, you know, it can be a factor from the socioeconomic status. Um, and so, say somebody came from a family of eight, um, and, they were, huh. and they received a Pell Grant, uh, which means that it most likely, you know, came from a lower socioeconomic status, things of that nature. I see. Then that, that loads on the factor of distance traveled for us. You know, people who've overcome, who have to tenacity in spite of uh, somewhat overwhelming odds at times. Wow, so there's so many different factors that go into yeah. that. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Overcoming, um, that's, that's something we've heard about. Uh, I think, it, would you say like a large part of the application, you should maybe try to uh, talk about how you've overcome obstacles, um, even throughout your undergraduate, how you maybe decide you were going to be pre-med? 
Um, you can do that as part of your personal statement. Personal statement. Yeah, but and just you know, a personal statement is just a good story. Essentially, yeah. it shows shows how you've arrived at this point. But then schools oftentimes, most I believe, will uh, offer you an opportunity to uh, fill out their own individual. They call it the secondary application. Right. And on ours, it's ten questions. One of which is things like, um, you know, how uh, tell us about a time when you. Uh, had a conflict with somebody else, and how did you, how did you uh, work through that? Or sometime when somebody gave you negative feedback, uh, or what? Give us a an example of how you would be considered a team player, mm -hmm. or what would you do if somebody in your group uh, was found to be cheating? Mm -hmm. uh, how would you handle that? So, uh, this kind of things like that give us a little bit more information into who you are and how you roll. So there's clearly a lot of things that go into kind of admitting new students. Um, how do you think this plays into shaping medicine in the next 10 to 15 years? Yeah, so and that's a great question because uh, medicine underwent a transformation probably 25 years ago uh, when nationally it was recognized that the people we had out there uh, in the trenches doing medicine oftentimes weren't very people-centered, weren't very humanistic and sometimes just plain old nasty, unfortunately. And, uh, and so there was a national movement that was spearheaded by uh, uh, a longtime physician by the name of Arnold P. Gold, who took the money he had made uh, in, his, uh, in his practice and started the Arnold P. Gold Humanism in Medicine uh, organization. And from that actually came the white coat ceremony. Oh, wow. Yeah, and, um, and also the transition to clinical medicine ceremonies some schools do. But the emphasis that became on, okay, we, just don't, we don't want physicians who are jerks working with people who are actually going through the worst time of their life. So how do we, how do we matriculate students to have that humanistic quality? That's where the altruism, conscientiousness, dutifulness, et cetera, comes in. And we look at that in your application through the way you've chosen to live your life. What activities have you presented, you know, worked in? Uh, have, you, have you helped anybody that was underserved? Did you go on any medical mission trips? Uh, did you, um, uh, if somebody put you in a court of law, uh, uh, would you be able to prove, prove that you were actually altruistic? Um, you know, that kind of thing. So that's, that's how we do it. That's awesome. That's cool. Like some insight into how you may look at like qualities of altruistic without just saying on your application, "Hi, I am a yes. good person." How do you do it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. How and uh, show not tell. Absolutely, right? you gotta not just talk the talk. You gotta walk the walk. Correct. And um, you know, I see people who think that maybe uh, medical school is a primary care centered uh, centered school, and then they'll always say, "Oh, I want to be a primary care doc when I graduate." But they've never shadowed a primary care doc. Uh, there was nobody in their family that was a primary care doc. So how do they know they want to be a primary care doc? TikTok. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Wherever they get. Yeah. Wherever they get their podcast. Right. <laughs> Theory pre-med. Yeah. So there's clearly a lot of different things you guys look at, and I mean I'm learning a lot right now personally. But run us through the admissions process from your side of things. So I know from what I've kind of heard is you turn in your application, you wait for that. Uh, secondary application to come in, 
And if that's great, then you get your interview and then you go from there. But there's obviously a lot of things that happen in the background that we don't really hear about. So run us through that if you don't mind. Yeah. So essentially, I mean, every, and every medical school has their own nuance on this based on what they're looking for, what their mission is. Uh, from our standpoint, again, we look at the application. Uh, for us, your academic strength is not uh, the be-all, end-all. We want to know that you have the predictors of being academically successful by the way you performed in your undergraduate, by the way you performed on the MCAT. Um, but, you know, to get a 520, 521 on the MCAT, things like that, unless you have the other stuff, it's probably not going to work out for you. So we want to see that you've, you know, you have given back. We want to see that you've, um, um, and of course your letters of recommendation are important too. Um, there's, you know, you could have a mediocre letter, or you could have a really stellar letter, like people say, this person's the best student I ever had in the 30 years I've been in this business. That, that perks us up, perks up the committee's ears. Uh, then, you know, we, um, we, do the, we do a psychological, um, I don't want to say exam, it's an inventory essentially, uh, that helps us better understand you faster uh, on uh, different variables, which I've already commented on. But um, I can also learn from that if a person is, tends to be self-centered, puts their needs above uh, somebody else's. I can learn if they're a good team player or not. Um, I can learn if they are a hothead uh, or not. And so those sorts of things you'd never pick up in a 30-minute interview. But we can with a, with a, with this thing that helps us to get know get to know people faster, and you really can't cheat on it because <laughs> it's too it's too uh, robust. There's over 235 questions. Wow. Yeah, and there's ways we there's three different scales we can look at to see if somebody's trying to fake good, fake bad, uh, or randomly just wow. clicking stuff. Is <laughs> <laughs> not agree, smiting agree, the agree, computer. Agree. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, so uh, one thing that you did talk about was the interview process, and uh, I think one big question that a lot of pre-meds have is what should an, an interview look like, or like what makes a good interview, um, and what can you do in an interview in order to stand out? Yeah, well, <clears throat> everybody I interview, I start with this. This is, the, and this is a famous expression around here, but it's no stress express. We like you already or you wouldn't be here. And, and it's just about us getting to know you better, you getting to know us better, because you, oftentimes you'll interview at more than one place. You have choices. So find out what's the best fit for you. Uh, in terms of uh, the actual interview itself, um, it shouldn't come across as canned, uh, overly rehearsed, or like you're reading from something. Just be yourself. Be as natural as you can be as if you're just having a good conversation with somebody else. And, um, and then, uh, for me, I just, uh, I start from the very beginning and ask a person, my first question is, so tell me how it is you got here. Why is it that you are interested in being a physician and why you apply to this medical school? And I tell them, don't even assume I know anything about your application. And that way I just let it take the conversation go wherever it wants to. Uh, you know, obviously want to see how well you can communicate, how well you can take on your feet. Uh, there's no 
hardball questions. Um, it's all about just really, you know, finding out whether or not you're an axe murderer. <laughs> if uh, you can to put two more than two uh, sentences together coherently, uh, because often as they are, sorry to say it, but sometimes very brilliant people have a difficult time communicating, and you have to communicate well if you're a physician, uh, at least in most of the specialties. Pathology being perhaps an exception, uh, some other notable ones, but um, so yeah. Um, it's, it's, you know, how well would they fit in? Would they be a good team player for us? Um, some schools may have more of a research uh, emphasis. Uh, so some schools may be more academically centric. Um, and, um, yeah, so if that answers your question. There's something I've always heard, and I'm, I'm not sure if it's really true or not, but to saying that, the second you step into med school for your interview, that's where the interview starts. It's not when you go into the office or yes, wherever the true. interview is. Do you guys look at like students interacting with each other before the interview? Um, do you guys even go as far as putting like someone undercover in a way to? No, nothing yeah. like that. We um, and actually all of our interviews right now are virtual. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they have been, and a lot of the schools are, are went that way this year. That was one of the things we learned. Um, and so for the f following year, we'll probably do that again uh, and then offer, offer the opportunity for people who would like to come and look at us, that chance to do so. Um, and, uh, but that way it saves the students a lot of money mm -hmm. for travel and hotel and all that kind of jazz and plus time away from their, their studies. Um, so, yeah, now, um, I have used an exercise before where we watched how students played well with each other. Uh, they, had to, um, they had to take spaghetti <laughs> and try to build a structure. The highest structure would win. Um, I've seen this. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting uh, because I've seen instances where one person in the group was dominating everybody else. I know what to do, just tell, you know, follow me, mm -hmm. I'll show you. And so everybody else was marginalized. That person didn't get in wow. uh, because obviously it's not a, um, uh, I mean, he's not a team player. Yeah. I know it all. So, you know, things of that nature. Marshmallow challenge. That's, that's what it, that's what it was known as. That one's fun. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Marshmallow challenge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, so, uh, you know, if we ever go back, uh, you know, we may do something like that again, but it's time consuming. And honestly, I can get so much information from from our um, uh, inventory that we can really don't need it. Yeah. Still a fun way to, you know, get to know people is yeah. a, a challenge like that. And it, it shows like how well they are, they are in a team situation and how, how good of a leader they may be. Because you have to be a leader as a physician as well. Absolutely. Well said. Definitely when I've shadowed like in the ICU and things like that, just like when someone's coding and just seeing the doctor just kind of like and everyone's working with the doctor, the doctor working with everyone, I think that's the big kind of role you need to have. Yeah. Um, Very true. So I guess as we come to um, the end of this interview, um, is there any last advice you have for pre-meds out there that are looking to apply to med school soon um, or even at the beginning of their paths uh, to medicine? 
I'd say don't believe everything you read on Student Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Great advice. <laughs> I would absolutely say that. I, okay. I, uh, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's absolutely in the wrong direction. Um, don't try to game it. You know, trust yourself and your own ability uh, that, that what you've done is, is noteworthy and worthy to be interested, uh, you know, to create interest. Uh, and, um, you know, just, yeah, put your best foot forward, uh, you know, and I guess that's the biggest thing I would say. That's great advice. Trust yourself and don't trust the internet. <laughs> Absolutely. Same reason people shouldn't read, you know, try to self-diagnose themselves mm -hmm. from reading stuff on, on <laughs> Wikipedia or whatever, or oh, WebMD. Yeah. I mean, they get it right. I can't say I haven't done that. Yeah, I mean, oh, and, yeah. and I think, you know, WebMD is a good resource, but it's not, uh, people who don't know may misinterpret it. That's very true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Or come in and tell the doctor, hey, I'd like to take this medication down. Yeah. You know, because oh, yeah. I saw it on Absolutely. Online. I saw this ad and this dude. You become the expert. Out. Exactly. <laughs> so fix me up, would you? Nah, nah. That's really bad on your kidneys, yeah. and you're already not functioning very well. So That's anyway. cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Evelyn, for joining us today. We really appreciate you being my here. My sincere pleasure. Is, it's been an honor to have you with me. Yeah. And uh, for all those who are listening, I wish you the very best uh, in your uh, pursuit of your career goals and ambitions. And hope, hopefully someday we hope to see you here on our campus. Awesome. And just kind of, you know, before we conclude, we found out today that we hit 300 total plays. Wow. Um, so that's Congratulations a milestone on that. for us. Yeah. yeah thank you. That's for really all cool. our listeners. You're off and running. Yeah. <laughs> best wishes and good luck. Thanks thank so much. you so much. Well, just a reminder to everyone, please give us a follow on Instagram at Theory Premed. And as always, episodes on Tuesdays at 8 a.m. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye.